The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, today we open up a new series called Dangerous Prayers, and over the next four weeks, we're going to work our way through some prayers that probably are not what you prayed when you were a little kid, you know, things like, um, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, or God is good, God is great, let us thank Him for our food, or some variation of that. Those are the kind of prayers that we grew up praying, really nice, cute, safe prayers. These are dangerous prayers, but dangerous in a good way, because they are dangerous to our pride, dangerous to shaking up our life a little bit. These are invitations for God to work deeply in us, to sift through our motives and our thoughts and get into the sensitive parts and the things that maybe we've, we've um, shut the door to, to challenge us and to change us. You've probably heard the phrase, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Have you heard that before? And some of you are like, yes, I know because I'm sitting right next to her now. You'll get that later. <laughs> If you wish for more patience, I guarantee that your children are waiting in the wings to help you out and give you an opportunity to exercise your patience, right? A lot of us maybe wish for the chance to see God do a miracle, like something right before our eyes, but few of us really want to have the setup for that miracle. So be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. And today I say, be careful what you pray for, because you just might get it. And as we go through these weeks and we pray these dangerous prayers, we pray them with a little bit of trepidation of like, okay, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to shake up my life? So I have kind of an amazing and cool story about uh, something that I prayed. Be careful what you pray for, you just might get it. But it's a little bit embarrassing to me because I didn't react so great. So um, even to this day, I have to just be honest. I struggle with flying. I hate flying. It makes me really nervous. I have medication for this issue. Um, it's, from, it's from the doctor, so it's okay, right? <laughs> so in high school, I was getting ready to take some kind of trip. I don't remember where I was going, but I know that it just shook me up for weeks. It would keep me up at night. I was terrified of getting on the plane and taking this trip. And so um, at the time, I went to a Christian school, and it was attached to this large church. And so I took my lunch time to go and just pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to take this fear from me. And so I was in this huge auditorium praying on one side, you know, fervently but quietly to myself. And on the other side, there was this janitor and he was vacuuming with a loud vacuum and had headphones on at the time. And um, pretty soon as I was praying, Lord, just deliver me from this fear. I don't want to feel this way. I want to trust in you. I don't want to feel this anymore. Um, the man shut the vacuum up off and I looked up and he was walking straight over to me and he took off his headphones and he looked me directly in the eye and he said, do you have fear? I just, my mouth was gaping open like, oh, I just prayed that. And this man, how did he know that? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit had been speaking to this man on my behalf and he had stepped out in faith and come over to deliver what he felt like God was saying to him for me. So this dear man, how did the high schooler in me reward his step of faith and his act of faith? I somehow mumbled something like, uh, 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 well, I think we all have fear. Why would I react that way? Why wouldn't I say, thank you so much. I had just been praying that. Oh my goodness, God is speaking to you. Thank you for coming over and, and talking to me. So I shut him down and the poor man just said something like, well, 
God doesn't want you to be afraid. I had prayed, God had answered, honestly, faster and more definitively than probably has happened to me before or since. But I was too prideful to fully participate in that gracious, that miraculous answer. And I've always wondered what would have happened if I had just admitted, yes, I have fear. I was just praying for that. Thank you. What would have happened? Did God have more to say to me than just, God doesn't want you to be afraid? Did God maybe want to set me free from that fear of flying for my whole life? What would have happened if I had just admitted it? What if in that moment of my pride, I shut down the work of God through that man that he had clearly heard from the Holy Spirit as he was over there praying and, and vacuuming? He had heard from God, and yet I didn't confirm that at all. What if in the future he was afraid to deliver any messages from God? What if that was his first time stepping out in faith? I'd like to think today I'd act a little bit less embarrassed, a little less prideful, and just admit to it, but... I don't know, honestly, would I? So be careful what you pray for. You just might get it and not be ready for it. Or be careful what you wish for. You just might get it and it might not come in the form you want or in the timing you want. Or you might be too prideful or too ashamed or too timid to receive it or bitter or stingy. You fill in the blank. Be careful what you pray for. You just might get it and be too what? Better yet, instead of you filling in the blank, let's allow the Holy Spirit to fill in that blank. Amen? I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in my life. Not today, not in this dangerous series prayers, not in this season of my life. I want all that he has for me. I want him to get in there and work through in a fresh way and reveal to me all the hidden thoughts and motives. And I thought last week was such a good lead-in to this series of these dangerous prayers because trust in God is key to praying prayers. That if I'm going over the cliff, I want to know who has a hold of those ropes, that he is trustworthy, that he is skilled at, at dealing with those ropes. And God is. He is good and honest and trustworthy and has our best in mind. Nick asked us last week this question, how many of your prayers revolve around our safety? God bless me, God take care of my family, keep us safe, help my kid, kids to be happy, safe, safe, safe. I ask you this question, what would change in the world around you if God answered yes to all the prayers that you have prayed over this last week? What if he answered yes to all of the prayers you've prayed over the last week? What would change in your world? Would somebody be set free from addiction? Would our church be full of all the people in Snohomish County who want to come and know Jesus? Would your neighbor's marriages be healed and better? What would change in your world? Or have you prayed safe prayers? Would you simply have gotten to work on time and maybe gotten a good parking spot? Safe, safe. Well, we're getting ready to pray some dangerous prayers. And today, our dangerous prayer comes from Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And it says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you pray this prayer out loud with me now? Let's pray it together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, that is good. And I pray that today you would take all my efforts at study, all my words. God, as I say them, I pray that you would take them and help them to burst in the hearts of each individual in here. God, that there's a, something spoken over a group of people, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would make it personal in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So these two scriptures come from, I think, one of the most famous and beautiful psalms in the whole Bible, and I encourage you this week to take some time to read through the whole psalm. But this prayer, this search me at the end, does what a lot of psalms do, and it's a bookend, that a lot of psalms start out with a phrase or a couple of verses, and then at the end, it will repeat those. It'll say all kinds of things in the middle, but they're bookends, and this psalm does that. So it starts out in verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And this psalm goes on to say that God knows us. He knows everything we do. He watches us, that he is with us. On the high, and he's with us on the low. There's nowhere that we can go that we can escape the Spirit of God. And some of those famous verses about how God knit us together in our mother's womb, they come from this psalm. And so it's a gorgeous, beautiful poetry, prose, song, whatever you want to call it. But then all of a sudden, after all that beautiful thoughts about how God knows me and he made me, David takes this really strange left-hand turn in verse 19. It says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then he's back to the nice again. He returns to that, you searched me. But instead, this time, instead of it saying, you have searched me, This time it's an invitation. Verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to work our way through those those two verses there. We're going to start out with the first phrase that says, search me. Now, this psalm, we've said, goes into great detail about how God follows us around everywhere we go, how God made us, he made our frame, he knows our thoughts, he knows why we say and do the things we do, not just what we say and do. So why then, if God knows us more and better than everyone else, if he's already investigated and already searched our lives, why this invitation to search? Why does he need to? He's already done it. I think it's an invitation from David saying, not only have you done this, God, 
but I open all the doors, all the nooks and crannies in my heart and my life. I want you to search me. I want you to actively move through me and dive deep and do inventory on my life. I want that. I invite you, God. Not only is it against my will, but I invite it. I welcome it. I want that. Sometimes I say this to my kids. Actually, I probably say this to my kids every day. I'll say, have you cleaned your room? And inevitably, they'll probably say, yes. And if I go to their room, I will see that, okay, mm, kind of, you cleaned your room. I can see that you picked up, you know, that, that coat that was laying there, or maybe you stacked all the dishes together. But I wouldn't say that it's really clean, you know. And I, when I say, is your room clean, I want to know that it's mom clean, not just kid clean. Because mom clean means that we have gone under the bed and we've gotten all the candy wrappers and the pencils and the books and the clothes that have been like just crammed under there and hidden. Mom cleans, we, mom clean means we open the closet doors and things are not just stuffed in there, but we've actually organized them. The shoes know which pair goes along with them and we've gotten rid of clothes that are dirty and clothes that don't fit anymore. Mom clean means we've actually thrown away the garbage that is, you know, all around. Mom clean means we've taken the dishes down to the dishwasher rather than just put them in a stack on, on a desk or something. Mom clean is not the same thing as kid clean. And I think David here is saying, I want my life to be God searched, not just David searched, not just David clean. I want it God clean. The next phrase is, know my heart. I think it's a deep need in all of us as humans to know and be known. That's why we, um, we take all those crazy quizzes about, like, which Disney villain are you and why we post what we had to eat every single day on Facebook. It's because we want to be known. It's the cry of every angsty teenager and every spouse as you're together that you want to know them intimately and be known. And yet, as much as we need it and want it, we are also scared to death of being known. We're scared to be found out as as being a fraud and not good enough or, or um, not, not worthy of love. We have this teeter-totter of wanting to be known and yet wanting to hide parts of ourselves. And I think that this goes back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve because they ate that fruit, whatever that fruit was, apple, chocolate, I don't know what it was that was so alluring that they couldn't resist it, but they ate it. Do you remember what happens immediately after they eat it? Their eyes are open and they realize their own naked, um, naked estate, their own nakedness. And they make themselves clothes and then they go and hide when God calls them. That hiding, that wanting to, that's too much, don't don't know me that much. That figuratively and literal, not wanting to be naked in front of people, (laughs) comes from the Garden of Eden. So why, why is it so hard, though, for us to admit that we're wrong? If it's human... To err is human, right? That's a phrase. If, if we make mistakes, if we know and we can say that with our words, like, oh, yeah, I'm just human, why is it so hard when somebody confronts us with something in our lives? Why is it so hard for us to admit that we might be wrong? It's that teeter-totter, wanting to be known and yet wanting to hide, too. 
So it's Mother's Day. Will you indulge me? I think, just, I, think I just tell one kid story and a few kid uh, pictures. Now, I had to meet with my daughter's lawyers to get these pictures released to you today, so you should feel very privileged that we're seeing these pictures because it was a deep negotiation. <laughs> so this is Emerson. Emerson is now 15, so this is back when she was about 18 months to two years. Isn't she so cute? Love, I miss my babies. Do you miss your babies? Yes, it's terrible. Okay, so that cute, sweet little girl, um, one night when Nick was the youth pastor here at the church, his office is up, was up where the kids meet now and have their worship up in that wing. And so we had a youth leaders meeting, and I don't remember exactly what that cute little face was doing, but she was definitely testing her mom to see like who's in charge because I had told her not to do something and she kept doing it, and it happened a couple of times. And so finally I pulled her out of that meeting and took her out in the hall because she had been naughty and she was testing me, and I knelt down in front of that cute little face like this. I knelt down, and I said, Emerson, look at me, because she was looking down, and she wouldn't look at me. And I said, Emerson, you need to look at Mama. We did this a couple of times. I need to talk to you. Nope, wouldn't look at me. So finally, I grabbed her cute little chubby cheeks in my hands, and I put her face right in front of my face because I wanted to look at her and talk to her about what she had done wrong. But she was too ashamed. She still wouldn't look. Do you know what that cute little critter did? As I had her hands or her cheeks in my hands, she began to bounce her eyes all around. (laughs) She would not make eye contact with me. I wish I had a video of it because inside I'm dying laughing. We've all as parents had those moments where you're like, you are so cute and so funny right now, but I cannot let you know that I think that this is cute because this is naughty. I've asked you to look at me and you are not looking at me. (laughs) Well, I think that there's times where we do that with God, that God takes our chubby little faces in his hands and he says, look at me. And yet we're too ashamed. We don't want to look. We know we've done wrong. And God's just saying, look at me. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want to look you straight in the eye. And yet we're still trying to hide But what if we let go of our egos, we let them take a back seat, and we instead invited God to look us full in the face, look at our lives fully, and stopped averting our eyes and stopped trying to hide and said, God, know me. Here I am. The next phrase is, test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is an invitation to test what we're made of. What's our metal inside of us? What makes us tick? What is going on? And not only that, it's an invitation into those anxious parts of our lives. What are we afraid of? And I don't mean like, are you afraid of snakes? Or are you afraid of spiders? I mean, what keeps you up at night? What are your anxieties? What is keeping you bound Because that's what anxiety truly does. It stops you in your tracks. What's keeping you from from being all that God saw when he made you? What's keeping you from being obedient to to him? I'm going to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. This week as you pray this prayer, and I hope that you will, when you leave, you'll be handed a card that has these verses on it. And I just want you to post it on your mirror, on your dashboard, wherever you can put it that you will see it all this week and pray it throughout the week every day, an invitation to God. (sighs) Know me, work in me, work in my anxieties, and not just the anxieties, but reveal to me what the true root of those things are. Those fears of being rejected and, and fear of lack of security, 
fear of failure. What are the roots? Because God wants to set you free from all those things that keep you bound up and from doing and being and obeying what he wants you to. So let God show you the roots of those fears and deal with them. Let God test you and see what's going on in your life. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's the next phrase. Perhaps God wants to deal with things that you have been avoiding for decades. Those things that you have crammed under your bed and, and, and hidden and hoping nobody sees. I find it interesting, like we said, that David takes that left-hand turn, that in the midst of all that reflection about who God is and how he knows us and how he made us, why is it that David takes that left-hand turn? I kind of think, this is just my gut, I don't know, because we can't interview David and say, what were you thinking in that moment? We have to guess. But I wonder if those bloodthirsty men, those men who were getting away with wicked, if those were David's anxious thoughts, if that's what was causing David turmoil. And even in that midst of that, God, they've done wrong, and I hate wrong, that David is saying, all the more, God, search me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Because David, probably amongst that difficult situation with those bloodthirsty men, he was probably most tempted and felt most justified to lash out. And instead of doing that, he says, no, no, God, deal with me, search me, help me to live upright. See, if there's any offensive way in me, take stock of my attitudes, of my thoughts, all the ugliness. Take out the trash of my life, God. Because here's the deal. Obedience is my job. But the outcome of that obedience is God's job. So David's saying, deal with me. Not the other guy. Not pointing fingers at those bloodthirsty men of, of you deal with them. Let God deal with them. I'm not going to go out and get my, my revenge. But here's the deal. You and I and that other person that maybe we don't like so much, have you thought about this? We make hundreds of decisions every single day. Conscious, unconscious decisions. We decide what we're going to wear. We decide what time we're going to leave the house. We decide when we're going to go left in front of that car instead of, you know, waiting our turn. We make hundreds of decisions every day. Some of those decisions are good and right, and everybody could say, oh, yeah, good job, good decision. Other decisions are bad. Other decisions are sinful, and we know they're wrong, and we do them anyway. But guess what? Some of those decisions that we make or that others make are exactly the right thing that should be decided and should be done, and yet they still cause pain to the people around us. Sometimes we do the right thing, and people still are hurt by those decisions. And that's the, part, that's the stuff of life, people. Offenses are part of life. It's the stuff of relationships. Because we make those hundreds of conscious and unconscious decisions, people are not always going to like it. People are def- affected by those decisions. And let me just ask you this. If you in here have any sideways relationship of any kind, will you this week, as you pray this prayer, Will you be humble before the Lord and just be open to the possibility of this? Maybe I've read this situation wrong. Maybe I don't have all the facts. Maybe I've been blinded by my emotions. And maybe when I should have offered grace and forgiveness, I have held on to that offense instead. 
Just be open to it. Again, we said trust in the Lord because if he is the one searching through and sifting through and showing you something, he is a good God and you can trust in that. What do you need to do to stand right before God? In the midst of somebody else's choices affecting my life, we have to respond. God, search my heart. Work in me. Look through my thoughts and help me do the right thing. If we honestly search our hearts, unfortunately what we find is that we are self-preserving. We don't always do the right thing. We like to pull the wool over other people's eyes. We like to pretend that, that um, oh, I didn't mean it that way, or I didn't know you would take it that way, when we knew it, that we meant it that way and that they would take it that way. Sometimes we like to just do our part and nothing more. The Bible says in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Other versions say, desperately wicked. Ouch. See, we want to think like, oh, we have good intentions, we have a good heart, and maybe to some degree that's true. But we also have a heart that deceives us, that sometimes lets us get away with doing the wrong thing and justifying it. It's so easy to see the wrong in others, and sometimes so hard to see the wrong in myself. I recently heard a podcast um, interview with Bob Goff. You know who Bob, Bob Goff is? He's an author of the book Love Does and then has a new one now, Everybody Always. And I highly encourage you to read both of those books. Um, but, but Bob is known for putting his faith into action in huge ways. And so you hear all the stories that he has. And if you ever listen to him, he has an amazing laugh that makes me laugh just along with him because it's so hearty and amazing. But he said this in the, in the podcast as he was being interviewed, and I actually typed it into my phone because it just has stuck with me. It says this, he said this, instead of asking, how's your life working for you? Ask the people who love you and you love, how's my life working for you? And make the mid-course corrections necessary. Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives to point out the offensive way because we don't see it, because we deceive ourselves over it. And sometimes that voice of the Holy Spirit may come in the form of somebody you love or somebody around you. So how would the people around you ask that question? Or answer, sorry, answer that question. How's my life working for you? Now, first of all, would the people around you even feel comfortable answering you honestly? Or would they be afraid that you can't handle it? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> That's my best Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Pretty pathetic. But how would they answer that question? How's my life working for you? Would they say, Ugh, you have some unforgiveness and it's peppering everything you say and do, that bitterness. Would they say, you have some mechanisms of coping with life that hurt the people around you? What would they say? You have unhealthy ways of relating. What would they point to that you are justifying and excusing inside of your life? Craig Rochelle gives these three practical questions for trying to determine hidden sin that we might be blind to or avoiding. He says, number one, what are others trying to tell me? Have you had three or four people point to something out in your life and you keep avoiding it? It might be time to pay attention to it. 
Number two, what have I rationalized for some time? Not just for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but what have I been rationalizing in my life for some time? Saying maybe, oh, this is just how I cope. This is my one thing. But what are you rationalizing? Number three, where am I most defensive? Don't judge me. Well, we're not talking about that. You might say those kinds of things. What are others trying to tell me? What have I rationalized for some time? And where am I most defensive? The last phrase is, lead me in the way everlasting. God, lead us on the right path. Help us to make those mid-course corrections that Bob was talking about so that we don't find when we get to our destination that we're off by a mile. What's the way everlasting? Well, it's the path of love, the path that God put us on, right? When Jesus walked on the earth, do you know that the people who followed him were not called Christians at first? That they were called followers of the way. I love that. Put us on the way. The way consisted of a new commandment that Jesus gave to replace all those crazy laws that we read about in the Old Testament. If you're reading through the Bible reading plan along with the church, we've worked our way through some of those laws. I would not want to have to follow each and every one of those. But Jesus gave us a new command to replace all of those. And it's found in John 13, 34, which says, A new command I give you, love one another. But he doesn't just stop there. That sounds good. But he says, as I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We can't get away with loving God and not loving people. We can't get away with asking for God's forgiveness and grace and not offering forgiveness and grace to the people around us. We can't mistreat people and think, oh, I'm still good with God. Because love one another. Andy Stanley says it this way, Love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by love for others. Love one another. If you love me, love my kids. That's what God is saying. And we all grew up hearing the golden rule, like do unto others as you would have them do to you, right? Well, Andy Stanley also says, No, 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 no. We should be guided by the platinum rule, which is love as Christ has loved you. Do unto others as Christ has done for you. That's a whole lot harder to live by, giving up of one's rights. That's how Christ loved. He loved unconditionally. And life is so short. It's too short not to open up all the bags in the closets and the under the bed to God, allowing him to sift through our thoughts and intentions and to let the Holy Spirit do the searching, that we want to be God clean, God searched. So I ask you to pray this dangerous prayer every single week so you can become all that he wants you to become. Are you brave enough? Can you be humble enough to accept what he shows you? Because you don't want to be careful what you pray for. You just might get not get it, right? We want to get what God has for us. And whatever Christ shows us, I know, whatever Christ shows you will point him, point you directly to him, to your need for Christ. That God wants to get down and look you full in the face and grab your chubby cheeks by his hands and say, look at me. I want you to know me. 
Look at me. I want to know you. I want relationship with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, today we invite you to search us. God, we invite you to know us and test us. We invite you to speak into our lives and point out the offensive way inside of us. God, because we want more of you and less of ourselves, God. Would you lead us on the path of righteousness, the path of love, the way everlasting? If you will just, for a moment, this might be uncomfortable for you, but if you will commit to praying this prayer every day this week, will you raise your hand now? Just in commitment. Sometimes it's good for us to get rid of that pride and raise our hands and have a physical response to what God is saying inside of our hearts. God, we do commit to praying this, God, because we want you. We want to know you. We want you to know us. God, lead us in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.